Hello and welcome to another episode of the Clinical Pharmacist podcast. We are kicking off a new series today in collaboration with pharmacist Amina Ali, who is the NCL ambassador for the North Central London Training Hub. This series, we're going to be discussing how the pharmacy workforce across primary care work collaboratively to achieve better health outcomes for patients using NHS services. And in this first episode, we are going to be talking about Pharmacy First. What we know so far that it's an advanced service that will be kicking off at the end of this month in community pharmacies. But before we get into that, uh, for those of our listeners who are new to our podcast, Firstly, welcome, and we will start by introducing ourselves. So my name is Runa Salim. I am an experienced primary care pharmacist with an independent prescribing qualification. I've been a pharmacist for over 10 years now, and currently my role is the clinical lead of Clinical Pharmacist Solutions and the founder and director of Clinical Pharmacist Academy. And I will pass you on to Rahina Kassam, Welcome, Rahina, and please introduce yourself to our audience. Yeah, thank you, Runa. So as Runa mentioned, my name's Rahina Kassam. I am the Head of Business and Clinical Development at the Clinical Pharmacist Solutions and one of the leads for training and development. So I'm also an independent prescribing pharmacist and have a certificate in advanced clinical practice. I have a history of working in general practice, CCG, and I've also had a lot of experience working in minor ailments long-term chronic condition areas, as well as being a lead pharmacist in primary care. I'll hand you over to Amina, who will tell you a little bit about herself. Thank you, Rahina. Um, so my name is Amina, and I am, as Runa mentioned, I am actually the NCL Pharmacy Ambassador. I work out of the NCL Training Hub. My role basically covers all things related to pharmacy workforce development, and part of that includes as education and training. I also work as an advanced clinical pharmacist across Enfield within a PCN, managing polypharmacy, de-prescribing, frailty, and prescribing in older people. I'm also currently undertaking an MSc in advanced clinical practice, at the end of which hopefully I will be an advanced clinical practitioner. Fantastic. Thank you both. So yeah, I'm really excited to be kicking off this series with this episode. So as we know, it's a new service that we'll be launching very soon in community pharmacies called Pharmacy Fans. So I think to start off with, maybe Amina, you could tell us a little bit more about what this service is, what it entails, so that audience have a good idea before we get into the nitty gritty discussions. So this service is basically an extension of the existing community pharmacist consultation service, and which currently exists across the community pharmacy sector. And by extension, there's sort of three parts to this. So this service basically means that patients can be referred from their general practice to their community pharmacist for the management of seven minor conditions, which include sinusitis, sore throat, otitis media, which is in the ear, affected insect bite, impetigo, shingles, and uncomplicated UTIs in women. So as you can see, this is transformational change whilst um, pharmacists are very adept and very skilled in in managing sort of OTC queries and recommending OTC kind of remedies for things. This is sort of the next level because what it will allow is our community pharmacists to actually manage these conditions and provide treatment that wouldn't normally be available OTC. So it might be, for example, an antibiotic, which usually you wouldn't be able to get 
over the counter but under this service you will be able to get from your community pharmacy following a consultation with your pharmacist. Okay thank you Amina I think that was a really good intro into what the service actually is and I think from my understanding it is basically what it actually says on a tin minor illness management in community pharmacies through a PGD. So I think back to our experiences in general practice, it's essentially what an experienced advanced clinical practitioner, whether it's a pharmacist or a nurse with an independent prescriber qualification would prescribe if they were to manage minor illness conditions. So I think, you know, my first thoughts, it's a huge responsibility for community pharmacists to undertake. I'd expect that to be a lot of learning and a lot of time invested and really importantly, a good support network around the community pharmacists who will be delivering the service to ensure that, you know, it is safe and it, it is actually helping patients within the NHS, which is basically to increase accessibility rather than, you know, pharmacists keep referring patients back to the GP. So Rahina, what are your thoughts when you first heard about this? Yeah, so I think, as we know, like Pharmacy First did exist in some sort of form. So there was originally CPCS, so the Community Pharmacist Consultation Service. So that already had the NHS referrals for minor illnesses, and that was previously within CPCS, and it had urgent repeat medication supply, which was also within CPCS. So this new clinical pathways with the seven different kind of areas is kind of a very exciting time for community pharmacists to get involved in. As we know, as like general practice pharmacists and working in the area of minor ailment, it does take a lot of training to get there, kind of making sure we're looking after that patient properly. Are we assessing them correctly? Are we looking for all the red flags? Are we safety netting? So it's a really good opportunity for us pharmacists that are actually working in general practice at the moment to be a good support system for our community pharmacist colleagues as well and just work quite cohesively with them to make sure that we are there as a referral if they do need that as well. What are your thoughts Amina? I mean I'm really excited about it as someone who does work in general practice and I work very very closely with community pharmacists as well as I see that this is a really great opportunity for pharmacists to sort of develop it into the next stage of kind of delivering clinical services as you rightly said the CPCS service has been in place for a while now and general practice has been able to refer patients for minor conditions where the pharmacists can then have a consultation and then possibly offer, you know, OTC advice or possibly a product that patient can buy. What is different here is that the pharmacist will be potentially examining the patient, you know, taking a full history as we would do in general practice, and then actually managing the condition with a product that the patient would have not been able to get otherwise unless they had gone to a prescriber. And that management will be through a PGD and a very clear pathway. So it is the next stage in terms of delivering the clinical service. And it will, if done correctly, it will shift a lot of sort of minor ailments away from general practice into the community pharmacy setting. So like I said, this is a really, really great opportunity for pharmacists within the community sector to expand their skills, to grow clinically, to develop, to kind of get those assessment skills, clinical assessment skills, diagnostic skills and, and clinical management skills as well. In order to do that, as you both rightly said, you know, we need to work together. We need to support each other. So what I would say is that community pharmacists reach out to the community pharmacists within general practice and reach out to their GP practices 
just have a conversation, you know, just to talk about what your needs might be in terms of the support that you might require, whether that be, you know, having a clear communication in place with your GP practice so that you're able to refer your patients back should you find that it's beyond your scope whether that be creating or joining an existing, say, support forum, like a WhatsApp group, along with your GP pharmacist so that you can sort of ask quick questions and get that kind of guidance on things that you sort of maybe unsure about. When you start delivering this service, you are going to feel nervous and there is going to be a time when you need to develop that confidence. And to develop that confidence, you will need that support. The best way to get that support is by getting it from your colleagues in general practice and working together. Absolutely. And I think, as you just mentioned as well, Mina, previously where over-the-counter medications, etc., could be given as part of minor ailments, now you'll be following a very thorough PGD, some guidelines there to be able to prescribe within these seven areas. I think where the difference is, you're now going to be able to give POMs and prescription-only medications as well as over-the-counter medications. With the prescription-only medications, these may include things such as antibiotics, so for insect bites, for ear infections, etc. So it's really important that those kind of clinical examination skills are put into place and you're making sure that you're looking at that patient, getting a good patient history, making sure that you're finding out all the information that you need to safely build that consultation for that patient. And I think in general practice, we had like a good structure to our consultation. So maybe if there's any pointers that we can give to our immunity pharmacist colleagues on how they can approach that with a patient, what they should be looking for, taking a thorough history, looking at red flags, looking at safety netting, because for a lot of them, it's going to be the first time that they are giving out things like clarithromycin as we might be doing as prescribers. And so what kind of support networks, what kind of training, education and materials are kind of available for our colleagues out there that are doing the service for the first time? So there are training packages that are available. They are all free access. So there's a training package through CPPE, which you can access and it covers all the seven conditions and it covers the service in general. So you can understand exactly how it's going to work. There are also face-to-face sessions that you can access where you can learn about the clinical assessment skills, learn to use the devices, for example, an otoscope to look inside the ear, looking inside the throat. And these are face-to-face sessions. So I would strongly advise you to get in touch with your local LPC. As daunting as this is, the only way you will learn is to actually do it. So you have to practice, whether that is initially just with family, friends or the, the rest of the pharmacy team. You've got to practice because the more that you see, the more that you will learn. So even if you are feeling a bit apprehensive and slightly anxious about taking this on board, do consult the patient, do go through the consultation, do examine them. If at the end of it, you're unsure, then of course, you can then go back to you know your general uh, practice colleagues and maybe get a bit of support. And if you're still unsure, then of course, you can refer them back. And actually, we are anticipating in the beginning that we probably will get some bounce back referrals and we're sort of prepared for that. But if you don't expose yourself, you won't learn. So even where you're feeling nervous, just expose yourself, see the patient, examine them, talk to them, go through the consultation and ask for help, ask for the support because we are here and uh, we're more than happy to support you through this. Perfect. As you you mentioned, the LPC are doing different trainings, different Mm -hmm. face-to-face trainings. Is there any mandatory training requirements for conducting the pharmacy first service 
I would say, although it's not mandatory in the sense that, you know, you can't offer the service without it, mm-hmm. it's strongly recommended that you kind of complete the program unless, you know, like us, you, you kind of do this on a regular basis anyway. Thank you, Armin. I think, you know, as you both said, um, you know, this is a fantastic opportunity for pharmacists working in the community sector to really upskill themselves and expand their scope of competency. Quite often we hear from pharmacists uh, in the community sector saying that they don't necessarily feel like they're utilizing their clinical skills, all that knowledge that they gained at university. They feel like they you know, just feel like accuracy checking technician in community pharmacy. So I think, you know, as you said, it's a fantastic opportunity. I think pharmacists should uh, really throw themselves at this opportunity. Like I said, a lot of the pharmacists working in primary care don't necessarily manage minor illness conditions. And I think we also need to highlight the fact that, you know, we, we call it minor illness management, but I think by no means this is a minor sort of endeavor <laughs> because it's a minor illness if, you know, you actually diagnose it as for it to be, for example, otitis media or urinary tract infection. But the hardest part about dealing with minor illness management is identifying what it's not and what it could be. The differential diagnosis is really important. And I think understanding all the, you know, differential diagnosis, all the red flags and, you know, rather than having just a superficial understanding of the conditions and the treatments, make sure you really understand these things at a deep level to ensure that your, your practice is safe, protecting yourself as a professional, and you are also protecting your patient as well. And the last thing we want is headlines on the news to say pharmacists under this service cause harm to such and such patients. So I think, um, as I mentioned in the beginning, and I think I'm touching upon this quite a lot, because within my role as the clinical lead in an organization that looks after about 70 pharmacists and technicians, I can potentially see that the real danger is if it's not carried out properly. At the same time, if it is carried out properly, I can see the tremendous help that will be brought to pharmacists and GPs and nurses working in primary care, you know, sort of offloading some of that workload, it's going to be a fantastic help. So I think pharmacists need to figure out the fine balance between understanding when to refer and also, you know, taking on that responsibility of making those clinical decisions, um, understanding the PGD at a deep level so that you can implement all the guidance and give the patient the treatment that they need based on the presentation that you have in front of you. So yeah, I think my advice to pharmacists is ensure you educate yourself, you know, ensure that you understand all the clinical aspects, know when to refer, understand differential diagnosis, is probably the most important thing. And of course, uh, learning about physical assessment, that's really exciting to learn. And I think uh, really important as well. So yeah, I think that's my advice. Any advice you have, Rahina, at all? Absolutely, sir. I agree with you there, Runa. I think... As we see from our own team, we build up these skill sets over years. Like we can't go straight in and be able to diagnose an ear infection. We have to make sure that we're doing our differential diagnosis. We have to understand what's actually going on with the patient. We have to understand their comorbidities, their polypharmacy. Like there's a lot of different aspects that we have to do. So as pharmacists, as we are undertaking this service, especially those that are seeing patients, assessing patients for the first time without a prescribing background as well. It's really important that we're following that PGD. We're doing our background reading. 
we're upskilling ourselves, we're looking at training modules around those specific areas, we're referring onwards when we're not sure or we don't want to take a risk, especially when there's a patient as pharmacists, as clinicians, first do no harm is, is what we say we should be doing. So we need to make sure that we are actually following the guidance in the best interest of the patient. If there is any concern, we should be referring it back. As we've mentioned earlier in, in the podcast, like we have pharmacists that are working within general practice that may be able to help and advise us. If you do feel that that patient does need a doctor, then just don't take the risk and get the patient seen to, especially if they are acutely unwell. So for us, it didn't just happen in a day. I didn't just go into general practice and say, oh, I can diagnose for UTIs now, or I know how to deal with a chest infection. I know how to deal with sinusitis. I actually put a lot of time into building myself up and upskilling and building up a competency portfolio kind of around those areas before I went in to kind of give those patients the treatment, start those consultations. So it's really important that we're looking at the patient as a whole and then we're looking at ourselves as pharmacists and seeing what can we do to make sure that we're giving that patient the best care that we can give and make sure that that patient is safe. Absolutely. Uh, Sound advice from the both of you. I wouldn't counter any of what you've said. You must, must stay within your scope, but staying within your scope doesn't mean you don't give things a go. So I just want to say, just regards to the majority of the conditions that you will be treating, they are infection. So you have the outcome is potentially issuing antibiotics. Now, we always need to remember antibiotics, whether they're coming through a PGD, whether they're coming from the GP, the same principles apply. Is it needed? Is it the most appropriate treatments? You have to determine whether the antibiotic is actually necessary because we're still having to consider all of the aspects of overprescribing antibiotics even within this service. So one piece of advice I would give is often when the patient is coming to the pharmacy, they're expecting a medicine at the end of it. So they're coming to you. They already think, for example, they have sinusitis, they have an ear infection, they have a UTI. So if the conclusion of that consultation is actually no, you don't need an antibiotic, self-care will be adequate, then you need to be able to give that robust patient education and manage their expectations, but also safety net them. So you need to be able to say to them, okay, if this condition doesn't get better in X, Y, Z days, then you can go and see your GP. So make sure you're giving them the advice that is going to make that patient feel like they've had a really good consultation and they know exactly what to do, how to manage their condition, but also they know what to do in case the condition doesn't get better. That's really, really important. I think that's really good advice, actually, Emina. Antibiotic resistance, number one. As pharmacists, we're all really hot on that topic. But Mm -hmm. additionally, I think there are going to be some times where you do have a tough consultation with the patient. The expectation will be, okay, this service exists. I can just go in and get some antibiotics. But sometimes the need isn't there. And I think as clinicians, we've all had to have those difficult consultations. So maybe kind of upskilling around like your consultation skills as well. There's some great packages out there to be able to have to deal with these tough consultations because I know I've had them. I'm sure that both of you have had them as well. So, yeah, managing patients' expectations. But as you said, safety netting them. If you're not getting better within X amount of days, this is what I want you to do. And 
I don't know, Amina, about any documentation at the moment. Do you know anything about the documentation around Pharmacy Fest? Yes, so a consultation will be entered onto a system which is GP Connect, and that will basically connect to the GP practice for that patient. So your consultation that you have with the patient will automatically upload into into that GP record. It will be very clear who's conducting the consultation, where they've conducted it, what the outcome was, and what you issued. It will all be uploaded automatically. So in terms of the notification for the GP, you don't have to notify the GP. That will all be automatic. It's almost like when the patient goes to a clinic appointment and they get a letter and the letter gets sent automatically. It's almost the same. So the GP will get that notification that you've done that consultation. They'll be able to see what you've done. And if they want to follow up the patient, they're within their clinical practice to do so. But you do not have to get approval from the GP to give the medication that you have deemed appropriate for that patient. So you are conducting the consultation, you are making that clinical decision, and you are managing the patient. Okay, so I think that's a perfect opportunity to add as well as we were touching on like safety netting and consultations and consultation notes. It's really important as pharmacists within the community as well, you're maintaining like a good set of consultation notes. So if you are seeing a patient and you've given them safety netting advice, just making sure that you're putting that into the notes as well. So the doctor or the surgery that this information is then going off to can see exactly what your outcome was with that patient, what you've advised and what was said in that consultation. So it's really important so that the surgery then have like a good history of what's happened with the patient that's under both of your care. Absolutely, absolutely. It's part of safety netting because should that patient present at the GP practice in a few days because they haven't got better or they deteriorated, it's really important for your GP colleagues to be able to see what was entailed in your consultation and exactly what treatment you recommended, exactly what safety netting you did and what advice was given. So I've got a question about, uh, this is again, you know, sort of the practical side of Pharmacy First and actually rolling it out. So I think it's always coming to the 31st of March, which is the anticipated date for (laughs) when this service will be launched. You know, I wonder how much work has been done so far by pharmacists to get ready, because as we know, it's no small endeavor. There's a lot of learning to do. The whole team needs to ensure that they're equipped. And mainly it's, it's down to the pharmacists to make sure that they're equipping themselves with uh, all the knowledge and skills to be able to deliver this service safely. How much do you know about, you know, what sort of time and, and energy is going into this beforehand? Do you think they can kick this off, you know, pretty soon? Or is it going to be sort of a slow progression where maybe they're just seeing one or two conditions at a time? as the pharmacist is building their competency levels? I think it's going to be a very mixed because it really depends on um, the preparation and, and the competence of the pharmacists that are delivering the services. I anticipate that it, there is going to be a sort of a slow increase in the uptake of the service, which is, I think, the safest way actually to do it. I would prefer that and, and I would feel more confident that, you know, my colleagues out there are kind of taking on this service and sort of learning as they go to build up their confidence. In terms of the actual preparation that's involved, there's a hell of a lot of preparation that's involved. You've got to make sure that you've kind of identified any learning gaps that you've had and then you address those by accessing the training that's available. You've got to make sure that your actual premises, you know, where you're working is actually suitable to have these consultations. Most pharmacies will have a consultation room Do you have all the right equipment? There is funding in place that you can access as a community pharmacy uh, for all the setup costs to be able to sort of set up your room, to be able to get the equipment and actually for the time 
that you are spending in doing all that preparation, that costs money as well. So that's part of the setup cost that you can um, access. The other thing to consider, and sometimes we don't think about this so much, is actually, is it going to require almost a reorganization of your team? You know, when your pharmacist is conducting these consultations, can the rest of the team just get on with business as usual? Or are you going to require changing the way the pharmacist team works? Or do you need extra staff? I mean, these are things that you need to think about, not just as a business, but as a clinical service as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think those are some key points that you've highlighted Mm -hmm. that I think, you know, our audience should take note. Another thing, not to confuse this service with something that may have been available before, Rahina, you you touched upon this earlier. It's different to the minor ailment service that was available before. This is actually um, minor illness management. So when you are referring, in most cases, if you have a look at the PGD, the, the referral criteria is pretty much the same as if this was being managed by a GP or an experienced prescriber, whether it's a pharmacist or a nurse in general practice. So the referral criteria is the same. So if you are, you know, implementing the guidance in the PGD and those protocols, in most cases, you will be actually referring on to secondary care. So I think, um, you know, as I said, obviously at that start, you might, you might be referring back to the general practice team more often until you're gaining your confidence. But further down the line, when you, you know, exactly what you're doing, a lot of the referrals are going to be to secondary care. So I think we touched upon, you know, gaining confidence. And one thing is experience and, you know, getting a lot of practice. But a lot of the confidence comes down to actually equipping yourselves with the knowledge. And I think the PGDs that are there and the training that's available to be able to kind of deliver this service, I'm sure they've made it pretty bulletproof to ensure <laughs> that the pharmacists are able to deliver this safely. And, you know, the criteria on when to refer is very clear as well. So as I said, build that sort of fine line between wanting to refer everything back to the primary care team and, you know, just sort of dishing out antibiotics to everyone. And as I said, that's going to come with knowledge and experience. Is there anything else that you think, you know, the community pharmacy team need to be aware of um, to be able to deliver this? I think I just want to reiterate again. The, the training programs are there, but when it comes to things like clinical assessment skills, it's about practice. So whatever you learn within the training program, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that from day one, you're going to be able to do everything all in one go. So build up your skills through practice. Okay. When I first started doing clinical assessment, you can ask my kids and my husband, I was examining them every other day because it was the only way that I could really kind of build up my confidence. And then even with my patients, this is just my own experience. If I was seeing, for example, an asthma patient, I don't have to listen to their chest, but you know what? I'm going to take the opportunity and I'm going to ask if I can examine their chest just to get the practice, just to be able to know, okay, this is what normal sounds like. Because actually sometimes it just comes down to something as simple as that. What is normal? What is abnormal? That's the first step to be able to recognize that once you're able to recognize that and then you're getting that peer-to-peer support, you you build on that. So I will reiterate again, please reach out to your colleagues in general practice. Please reach out to GP practices to get that support. Please get involved in terms of joining whatever support groups are out there. 
and mm-hmm. I think ju- just to wrap up it's just making sure that you're working safely making sure that you're upskilling yourself don't be scared to refer back if you're unsure or concerned about the patient's safety I think it's just important that it will take time to build up those skills we didn't all get them straight away it's taking this time shadowing experience multiple courses so I think as Amina said first steps are what's normal what's not normal just make sure that that patient is seen in the safest way if you feel that it's out of your competency refer back where I'm sure the GP practices would prefer that that patient is being seen and is safe rather than you seeing them and being unsure and just prescribing based on what you think might be right, but might not necessarily be there. As we've mentioned multiple times as well, safety netting, getting those consultation notes to how they should be. But I think it's an exciting service that's coming into play to just kind of expand those clinical skills, help you to upskill. I think it's your own opportunity as a pharmacist to start to build yourself up slowly. You don't have to do it all straight away. You can do one area at a time. You can do what feels comfortable, what you feel competent doing, and then just slowly build yourself up over time. Thank you, Rahina and Amina. So fantastic advice from both of you. And, you know, seeing as you're both experienced IP pharmacists in minor illness management, I encourage everyone take all this advice and implement it as much as you can, especially if you're brand new to all of this. And um, yeah, hopefully what we will see is, um, you know, pharmacists are, are now upskilled, are more competent, who are able to deliver a range of services in the community sector to support the wider primary care team, which is fantastic. And, you know, we'll all be part of a bigger change that will result in better patient care nationwide, which is the ultimate aim of um, launching this service pharmacy first in the first place. So I think that's all we've got time for. I'd like to thank you both for joining me on this discussion. It's been really fruitful and I think a great insight for our audience and to give them an idea of, of what this service is all about and how we can all work collaboratively to ensure the safety of our patients. Thank you, Runa. Thank you.